Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today we're going to be talking about meditation. And this is something that I've kind of discovered lately uh, in some of these some of these thoughts have been a long process, and I want to talk a little bit about my my journey and process as as a Christian, as I've been through various seasons and stages of life, and how I do my daily faith has changed and kind of evolved through those seasons. And also recently we've switched to going to an Anglican church, which has been different. Uh, the way that they do church is different. And we've been studying the Lord's Prayer in our home, in our Bible study every week. And uh, the way that we've done that is uh, the Anglican Church, the Anglican Network in Canada, Anik, has a little book written by, um, by, 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 by again. J.I. Packer uh, was one of the, the um, people in charge of writing that book. It's very just basic. Uh, it's a catechism. It just runs through basically... Uh, what are the Ten Commandments? What is the Lord's Prayer? What is the Apostles' Creed? With kind of five questions for each phrase of each of those and uh, a little description. It's meant for teaching children or people that uh, want to get baptized in the church, but it also makes a really good foundation for leading a Bible study because it brings you back to the basics and it forces you to look into what are the basics. And if anybody has ever, for example, learned a musical instrument, they'll know that or or done something like weight training or or um, learned any sort of a craft, you know that you never grow past the basics. You always need to come back to what's your posture, what's your breathing, you know, how are you standing, what are you eating? You know, the basics are always the basics. You always need to come back to them. And so this little book has been helpful to us. And it's brought me to this new understanding of meditation which um, I'd like to share with you. And so what I have found that this has has kind of overturned for me, and as I'm going to share, this is going to be part of my journey, and it hasn't only been Anglicanism that has overturned this, but you know, growing up as kind of your default non-denominational evangelical, um, I've got some Baptist heritage, I've got some Brethren heritage, I've got some Pentecostal background, I've got some Baptist in there, uh, and some kind of Reformed stuff in there as well. I'm kind of a, a mutt, sometimes people call themselves, like I have many influences, but just standard evangelical. And the way that most evangelical Christians tend to do it is, well, you, you try and read through the Bible in a year, about which ends up being about three chapters a day, which ends up being about 15 minutes worth of reading. And then you pray, you know, before every meal, and part of your devotion time, your, your time with God, should be prayer. And usually that's extemporaneous prayer. Extemporaneous just means on the spot, you just pray whatever's on your heart, which if I pray it, 6.30 in the morning, whatever's on my heart is, give me coffee, Lord. <laughs> you know, um, if I pray before meals, it's usually, if it's extemporaneous, it's usually pretty like, God, please bless this food. Amen. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. That's the most honest thing I can think if I'm going off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, so that's basically what most evangelicals go towards is try and get through the Bible in a year and extemporaneous prayers. Pray, just pray off the top of your head. 
And that's kind of been replaced for me with meditation, which is, well, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and liturgical prayer. So meditation, kind of looking at just a small bit of scriptures and reading it over and over and over and meditating on it and dwelling on it and inhabiting that part of scriptures for a long period of time and letting those words inhabit you for a long period of time and letting that slowly transform you like a pickle, like a cucumber. It's a terrible analogy. That sits in the brine for a long time and gets transformed, you know, into something, something else. Um, that's what happens with extemporaneous illustrations is you end up calling people pickles. Um, so there's three big assumptions, three big presuppositions or assumptions that I felt challenged um, that, and that I would like to challenge you. Is it always true that extemporaneous prayer is better than a written prayer? Is it always true that a prayer that you pray off the top of your head is better than what you could read, say, for example, in a prayer book or in the Psalms or the Lord's Prayer? Is it always better to pray freely your own thoughts? I mean, clearly, sometimes it is, right? I, I don't think that we ever want to be tied down to either or of these all the time. But I think as, as evangelicals, we're so terrified of Catholicism and so terrified of formalism and legalism that we've gotten into this habit of thinking that there's never a good time to read a prayer. That's just, that seems like a contradiction. Prayer should be free. Prayer should be from the heart. And so it seems like there should never be a time when you're going to read a prayer or repeat the same prayer. Pray somebody else's prayer. I mean, how can you do that? But is it true? Or sometimes are God's sometimes are somebody else's thoughts better than my thoughts in this moment, in this situation? And if we're reading scriptures, if we're reading the Lord's Prayer, this is what God incarnate prayed to God in heaven. So is it true that my thoughts in the moment are better than God's thoughts? Or in this time and place, maybe sometimes it is better to pray God's thoughts than to pray my thoughts. Is it true that extemporaneous prayer is always better than liturgical prayer? Which kind of comes down to, is it true that my thoughts are always better than God's thoughts? Sometimes God's thoughts are better than my thoughts. And sometimes I need to lift my thoughts up to meet God's thoughts. Is it true that repeated prayers are always insincere? Now, clearly, sometimes they are. Right? You can... You can have the best prayer in the world, which is the Lord's Prayer. I think, as a Christian, I think we can all agree that the best prayer is the one that Jesus taught us to pray. Maybe some people would disagree with that. I'm not sure. But you can have the best prayer in front of you and pray it, and your heart's not there, and it's not sincere, and it's just vain repetition. In fact, Jesus said before he got into the Lord's Prayer, don't be like the heathens that um, think they'll be heard for their many words and their repetitions. And, you know, there's certain pe certainly people in church history that have, have acted like this, that have said the way that we get God's attention is by saying the Lord's Prayer ten times a day or by saying the Hail Mary 
20 times a day or whatever it is. It's through that mechanical repetition that we earn something from God. And clearly that's not that's not true. That's not, that is what we're trying to avoid. That's what Jesus was trying to avoid by saying that before he gave us the Lord's Prayer. But is it true that repeated prayers are always insincere? We are told to pray without ceasing. And we are told to pray for things that we really want. You have not because you ask not. Therefore ask that you may have, that the Father may be glorified, that you may bear much fruit and the Father may, may be glorified. I'm jamming a few verses together from uh, from John 15 here. We're supposed to pray without ceasing, and we're supposed to pray for things that you really want, that we really want. So I don't know how to pray like for 15 minutes even for one thing that I want without repeating myself. Like I could try and be really eloquent, <laughs> and but there's a limit to how many times you can restate it. You know, if... Uh, if what what could I think about? I mean, if you if you want a job, you know this is new job opening. You really really want it, so you're praying for it because God wants us to come to Him in prayer for the things that we want, not to go to other places, not just to fret, um, but you know be anxious for nothing but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make your requests known to God. As it says in Philippians four, three or four somewhere in there. So we bring our prayers to God. How are you going to pray? You have a prayer session of, say, 10 or 15 minutes. How are you going to pray, God, please give me this job for an extended period of time without repeating yourself? You're going to end up repeating yourself. You might be able to say it, God, please give me this job. God, it would really make such a difference if you give me this job. God, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> you, you know, like... You can't get far without repetition. And I think that that's okay. We shouldn't feel like our repetition is going to earn something from God. I think that's fairly clear from what Jesus said. But you can't get far without repetition. And sometimes when I really, 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 really want something from God, like I find myself just repeating, please, you know, and it's kind of ridiculous if you, I feel ridiculous in my mind as I'm praying for something, but it, you know, maybe it's, my wife has a migraine, there's something happening where, you know, she, she doesn't want to miss out, and I just really, God, please make this migraine go away, please, I just, I beg you in the name of Jesus, please make it go away, please, 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 I mean, there's no new content being communicated, I'm just saying please, 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 over and over and over, and yet it's, it's from the heart, it's sincere, I am really praying this and so again challenge the assumption is it true that repeated prayers are always insincere i don't think that it is i think in in the real experience of prayer some of our most sincere prayers are repeated because this is the one thing that i want it's not complicated it's deep and the best way i can say it is simply god Please make this migraine go away. That's what I want. There's nothing I can do other than say that again over and over and over because that's what I want. That's the desire deep in my heart. So repeated prayers are not always insincere. And liturgical prayers are not are sometimes better than extemporaneous prayers. And the third assumption is quality uh, quantity is always better than quality. Quantity is always better than qu quality. 
we have this assumption that it's better for me to say, you know, a long, eloquent prayer where I'm touching on a lot of different things and I'm saying it in a complex way. That's somehow better to God than if I would just say, God, what I would really like is for you to bless this food and there's a job opening tomorrow that I would really like to have and please make my wife's migraine go away or whatever it is. Is it true that quantity is always better than quality? Jesus said, in this way pray, our Father who art in heaven. And in the Aramaic, as many of you know, it says Abba, which is why in French you say, well, you, it's called the Notre Père, but it should be Papa. It should be Daddy, is how it's prayed. Because, and, you know, Jesus refers to us as little children. And we are to relate to our father as little children relate to their daddy. You know, in, in Romans 8, our, the Holy Spirit cries out within our spirit, Abba, Father. And this is, this is true spirituality when we realize that we are little children in the lap of our daddy. And we can just simply and clearly say, please, I, I really want this. I really need this. Please give me what I need. Please give me my daily bread. So I don't think it's true that quantity is always better than quality. I think what God wants from us is for us to be honest with ourselves. And sometimes that's a moment for, for education. It's sometimes that's a moment for repentance. In James 4 it says, You have not because you ask not. You ask and you do not receive because you ask according to your lusts that you may spend these things on your desires. And this is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you, that you're, you're driven by your lusts and your desires and you have your eyes on earthly things. You adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? So sometimes we come to God and say, God, all that I want is this. Please give me, I guess we're going with the new job as the illustration. <laughs> um, please give me this job. Well, why do you want this job? Well, because you want to be rich. So you stop and you think, you know what? I prayed for one thing, and as I prayed it, I felt this check in my spirit, and I realized the only reason I want this is for money. And is that really what God wants from me? Or does he want me to have a kingdom impact with my life? Or, yeah. So sometimes we come to God with our one prayer, and it becomes an educational moment, and we realize, I need to repent of the desires of my heart. Or I need to pray that God would reorient my prayers. But I think it's fairly clear that sometimes it's not better to have a long flowing prayer. Sometimes it's just one thing that you need to pray sincerely and honestly. And that's where the life is. That's where you're going to connect with your with your daddy. So challenge these three assumptions. Extemporaneous prayers are always better than liturgies. Repeated prayers are always insincere. And quantity is always better than quality. The fourth assumption I'd like to challenge is that all good Christians read the Bible in a year. Now, as I say that, some of you will have will connect with that strongly. Yeah, that's what I've heard. That's what I've been taught. That's what I believe, perhaps. Some of you are like, really? This was an expectation. This is what's known as an unspoken expectation. And so some of you haven't 
clued in because perhaps it wasn't spoken very loudly in your circles uh, or perhaps you're new to the faith or or you're just in a circle where this unspoken rule isn't very strong. But in some parts of evangelical Christianity, it's a very strong unspoken rule that all good Christians read through the Bible in a year. And there's apps that'll help you do this. There's Bible reading plans. I mean, some, you know, so-so Christians will read it in two years. I'm being facetious here. There's two-year Bible reading programs, three-year Bible reading programs. But the most common is reading through it in one year which translates to about three chapters a day, which is about a 15-minute commitment, 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how it's broken up and how quick of a reader you are. So I, I will say, before, I, before critiquing this assumption, that it's very good to read the Bible, obviously, uh, and especially for new Christians, it's good to just get an overview of the Bible. It's Sometimes it's helpful just to get into that rhythm of it, uh, of finding a time in your day, figuring out whether you're a morning person or an evening person, figuring out you know, where that, that downtime is in your schedule, which is going to change throughout your life, throughout the life stages, before kids, before marriage, you know, marriage and then kids and then kids leaving the home. And, you know, where is the time uh, that, that time shifts and moves? But where finding that time and, and spending time with God, you know, 15 to 20 minutes a day. And um, so that can be a really good thing. And that's certainly where I started. There's things you can do. You can read the Bible as it is, just pick it up and read it. Uh, the problem with that is that Genesis and Exodus are pretty interesting. And then you get into Leviticus and it's like, whoa, this is really boring. Deuteronomy kind of rehashes Exodus Leviticus is really boring again. Then you get into Judges, that's interesting. Then you get into Joshua, or Joshua, then Judges, those are interesting. What's next? Ruth is interesting. Um, anyways, then you get into Psalms eventually. Job and Psalms are, are really boring. Prophets are, there's not much action happening there. You know, there's kind of dead points in the, in the Bible as far as narrative. Uh, and so... Some Bibles you can buy a chronological Bible. Oh, also the, the Bible's out of order. It's organized thematically, not uh, chronologically. So you can buy chronological Bibles that'll put it in order for you. And I'd very much encourage people to do that, especially if they're a new Christian. Buy a chronological Bible. And then you can get the story, the sweep of how things fit. Um, you can also read a uh, citations Bible. There's Bibles that will... Um, after you've read it through a few times uh, and you just want to be nourished on the word and have that, you, you want God to speak to you every day. The problem with reading it through just like that is you get through these real dead spots where you read three chapters of genealogies. And the genealogies are important, but you're not going to have a lot of you know spiritual nourishment for your day reading and Adam begat. Abel and Abel begat so and so and so and so begat so and so and you know on and on it's it's pretty dry reading so there will be Bibles that'll take like two chapters from the Old Testament a Psalm a proverb and like half a chapter from the New Testament and so you'll read all those citations and then you know you'll work your way slowly through the whole Bible but in little chunks so that every day you have something that God is going to speak to you through that. So those are all ways that you can get through the Bible. And as I said, for a lot of people, 
it's it's kind of this cultural norm, this un, unquestioned thing that every all good Christians read through the Bible in a year. And again, for some people that's awesome. That's definitely where I started. I'm going to get to my story in a second here. The problem with this assumption is that it can tend to discourage meditation because it's realistically fairly hard to get find 15 minutes a day to read. And many days you're just not going to have it because you have this certain time, whether it's early morning or later in the evening or coffee break at work or something, you have this time set aside where you're going to read, but life happens and that moment doesn't happen because, you know, for me, I've got a toddler and, and he, he, he runs in and, and messes with my life or whatever it is, right? That's what happened this morning. I was supposed to have a nice quiet time and he woke up at 6.30 in the morning. It's life. Life happens. And so then what happens? Well, now, now tomorrow morning, you have to read half an hour. Well, what if, what if you get interrupted again? Well, then the next day you need to read 45 minutes. You know, pretty soon it ends up being this, this large burden. And so when, when you're reading through your devotions and you often end up kind of behind, what happens when you find a verse that's really deep and really speaks to you where you're at? Well, you don't really have time to stop and smell the roses. You got to keep going or else you're going to fall behind and then you're not going to get through the Bible in a year. Um, volume becomes the enemy of, of depth which is another way of saying that quantity is the enemy of quality. It's, it's just hard to stop and really meditate on a few verses if you're, you're rushing to try and get through the whole Bible in a year. It can lead to a place of pride and shame because you can say, well, I've read through the Bible six times or I've read through the Bible 15 times in the last 15 years or whatever it is. You keep track, you prop yourself up and then you can say, well, how many times have you, re you read through the Bible anyways? And you can compare people, yourself with other people. And this is not healthy, right? No, I mean, you could say that with, with any spiritual discipline. How long do you meditate? Well, I meditate this long. I mean, you, we are very creative when it comes to finding ways to be arrogant. But this is, this is one danger with the one-year program. I think the most important problem is that it leads to this sense of pride and shame. When you're ahead, you're proud. When you're behind, you feel ashamed. And at a certain point, the shame becomes so crushing. And, you know, the 15 minutes becomes half an hour. The half an hour becomes a whole hour, you know, an hour being, you know, it's about five minutes a chapter. So, you know, you know at a certain point, you get so many chapters behind. It's like if it would take me six hours of straight reading to catch up. And it's just too much, and you just give up. And I've certainly been there, and, and I think a lot of you have been too. You just fall behind, and either you end up skimming scriptures, and you just sit down, and you're like, I'm going to catch up. And so you read 30 chapters in one afternoon, and you're not processing very much. Your eyes are just flying over those pages to, to catch up. Or else you just you just forget about it, and you just give up. It can feel very lifeless. It can feel like a duty. It can feel like some sort of an obligation. And this whole thing can become a mortal enemy to meditation and a vital relationship with God. If, if what you're really after is really being with God and God is your friend and you're speaking with him and he's speaking with you, sometimes this, this program of one-year daily reading 
can be the enemy of that as much as that's what it's there to safeguard. That's what you're aiming at is trying to walk with God. So let me tell you a little bit about my journey that has led me to, to where I am and then I'll talk a bit more about where I am. So I began my, journey, my spiritual journey with the daily reading plan. My dad, um, when we turned eight, he figured we were old enough to read the Bible for ourselves and so he made that part of the daily of our family chores that you had to read the Bible for yourself. Um, if, if we did not read our Bible, then there would be consequences, which could lead all the way to getting a spanking if you didn't catch up with your reading. So it wasn't always fun. It, it wasn't always not fun. It was just part of life. Like it, it didn't, as an eight-year-old, I was a fairly obedient kid, um, tried to keep the peace and make people happy. It, it wasn't onerous for me. But it wasn't always fun. I remember one bright, sunny summer day when I had to catch up on my reading and I had to read the entire book of Job in one sitting to catch up before I could go outside and play. And it was not a good day. <laughs> I did not. That was not a fun, happy memory. Uh, but there was some, definitely some good there. I definitely, my reading improved. I went from special ed almost failing grade one, special ed for grade two, up to like the top of my class in grade three, as far as reading was concerned. There's a lot of pride happening. Uh, I definitely felt proud that I would go to Bible studies, and you know, Bible studies were often in my house, in our house, and I knew the stories better than some of the adults did, and I knew the theological principles better than a lot of the adults did, even at 10 or, or 11, because I had read the Bible through like four times by that time. Um, something I've seen in other people, not so much myself, is that there's this sort of thing, maybe it was more common in the previous generation, I think in some places it's still common today, to kind of force your kids to read the Bible. It's It can be a painful place, it can lead to apostasy, or apostasy is a big word, but it can lead to a place where people feel like religion is being shoved down their throat, and as soon as they have a choice, people start having a choice around 20. 12, 13, 14, whether you like it or not, they have their own free will, they have their own choice, they have their own life, and they're going to start rebelling, and that rebellion means I'm rejecting your faith because I'm sick and tired of it being shoved down my throat. It just so happened that um, I was able to approach my dad at the age of 12 and say, look, I think it's important for me, I was able to put it into words and say, it's important for me to have my own walk with God. And can I please keep track of my own da daily Bible reading? I'm going to keep reading it. Just let me keep track of it and let me do it my way. And so he let me do it my way. And uh, I had a, a Bible where I could read some of the Old Testament, some of the New Testament, some of the Psalms, some of the Proverbs every day, which to me was just nicer because I didn't have to slog through, you know, on and on and on of Job's friends or something boring in the Old Testament. I was able to take pieces from here, there, and everywhere and have interesting stuff happen every day. And at that point, I had really great memories of reading the Bible. I had this little ceramic heater, propane heater, uh, that I would light up in the cold basement room that I had, and I would sit in front of that, and I would curl up in my chair, and I would just read. And I would often read quite a bit ahead. I, I wouldn't just follow my Bible reading plan. I had a little Good News Bible. Uh, the, the language was at my age level. And I would just read and read. And I remember especially uh, connecting with the, um, the story of 
Joseph and how he was a young man that was alone, but he was courageous and he did the right thing. And life didn't always work out for him, but he kept going. And eventually things worked out for him. And, and you could see how God, God's hand was on him all through this. And, and uh, he was especially victorious over sexual temptations. And anyways, just I remember journaling and writing about, about uh, that story of Joseph. At a certain point, though, I just, it got less and less frequent, and eventually it became like once a week or twice a week that I was reading, and it wasn't very, I wasn't very faithful with it. And then I had this kind of epiphany, because sometime in the summer, it was, you know, I had, I had had the conversation around January, because that's when you restart your daily audio, or your daily reading plan. And sometime in midsummer, I realized that my life is just not, what I want it to be. Like I, I was having more temptations, dark thoughts, things I didn't want to have in my life and not having a lot of that joy and that victory in my life. And I thought back over like the previous couple of weeks and I just remember having this thought that like, well, why is it that some days I'm are lighter and some days are darker? Like Tuesday was dark. Monday was dark. Sunday was dark. Saturday was kind of a brighter day. I had more joy, I had less negative thoughts, less temptations. Hmm, interesting. Friday was a good was a dark day. Thursday was a dark day. Uh, Wednesday last week was kind of a brighter day. You know, and I kind of went through the previous week like that, and I was like, what, what's going on? And I realized, you know what? As I think back through my previous weeks, the days when I happened to crack open a Bible, those were brighter days for me. In, in every sense of the word. It doesn't mean that, you know, I was singing and, and dancing and joyful every day, but when I compared those to days that I didn't crack open a Bible, it seemed like they were lighter days, they were brighter days, where God's presence was shining on me. And I said, you know, this is something I need for my life. This is something that makes a difference. And that became like an axiom axiomatic moment for me that was a, a pivotal moment for me as a 12 year old 12 and a half year old kid that I realized this is making a difference in my life I'm going to keep doing this not because dad tells me to but because I realize this makes my life better and so from that point on I started reading and I started really really reading and I kind of threw the whole one year daily reading plan to the wind I just for the simple reason that I was so far ahead that it kind of became irrelevant because I read through the Bible in something like eight months instead of a year because it was interesting. It was life-giving. I was reading more than just in my devotion times. You know, as a kid, you have a lot of free time. And I was finding that, well, if if a little bit of this brings me life, why don't I read more of it? And I was the really weird, nerdy kid because I was going to a Christian school and most of us in the Christian school, I mean, religion's kind of being forced down our throats. We're there because our parents want us. And I mean, it was a good school. Our friends were there, not complaining, but I had a Bible in my pocket. I, I had one of those little Gideon's New Testaments and I would just keep it in my pocket. And when I had a moment, I would take it out and read it. And I got so much, I got teased so bad for that. Um, we went on this canoe trip and <laughs> um, before there were, Palm Pilots, there was a little Bible that was like a palm, well, when in the age of Palm Pilots, this is so long ago, um, and there was this company that, for a short time that sold a Bible that was a little Palm Pilot Bible, 
and I, my dad bought me one. Well, I think I bought it for myself. My dad had one. He thought it was so cool, and I bought one I thought was so cool. And I actually took it on canoe trips, and then it actually fell in the water and got ruined, and I was really mad. But anyways, <clears throat> I was one of these weird, nerdy kids that felt like it was important enough for me to have a Bible on me all the time so that if there was a moment in my day that was empty, I could pull out a Bible and read it. And that was because it was giving me life. It was, it was speaking to me. So sometime later on in my teens, I discovered memorization. And I had, I mean, people had talked about memorization. We were supposed to memorize verses in our, in our Bible, in our, our school. Sometime around this time, by the way, I left my Christian school and I felt called by God to go to the secular high school as a missionary. And so I got a bigger Bible. Cargo pants were all the rage at the time, so you had these big pockets on your pants. And I bought a Bible that was big, a full Bible, had it in my pocket, and um, walked around the Bible. I was such a nerd. It was terrible. <laughs> but anyways, whenever time in the day, I would take it out and I would read it. And I actually got less teasing at the high school than I did at my Christian school because I mean, everybody's weird in high school. You're trying to figure yourself out. Some people are nerds. Some people are jocks. Some people are... Um, or what, preppies or whatever, whatever the terms are today. And I was a Christian nerd, and that's just, that was just my shtick. And, I mean, I got teased for it, I guess, but that was just my weird thing, and everybody has their weird thing. So um, at sometime at, during this time, I discovered memorization. That uh, Sorry, that was actually when I was back in the Christian private school because there was a competition, and you could memorize um large books of the Bible and then we would go to this conference and then you could get an award. So I memorized the book of John and uh, this took a while but you know you memorize one chapter at a time then you recite it and and then somebody signs off that you've you said it. I always said before this that I had a bad memory but it's not actually true. I have a fairly good memory for certain things and uh, I can't remember chapter and verses but I remember content very well and so it ended up working well. Um, it was lots of work, but it was very good, uh, especially for a young mind to discipline themselves himself that way. So some things, some thoughts about memorization. Memorization forces you to dwell on a text, which is good. It forces you to notice the syntax, the conjunctions, and the fine details of a text. You know, you, you read a verse and you think, oh, okay, I got it. But then if you try to repeat that verse back, you know, something like, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We've all heard that a million times. But if you memorize that and you try to say it back to somebody, for God so loved, oh, you kind of notice, wait a minute, it says for God. It starts with a conjunction. What's before that? You know, so you, you read, oh, this is part of a bigger dialogue, right? For God so loved. So, there's the word so. What does that mean? God doesn't, he didn't just love, he so loved. They, anyways, he, you start noticing the little words because those are the little words that you get wrong. You, you say, the, you say the, the verse to somebody and they're like, yeah, you, you missed a few words. So you go back and you look at those little words and you realize all those little words have little nuances of meaning. So it's really neat to memorize because you find yourself focusing on the little nuances of the words and you end up you know just spending time just spending time focusing on them and as you spend time on these little words and on 
on scriptures, then the scriptures spend time in you, and you end up, well, as, as it says, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind becomes transformed. Your mind becomes changed. Uh, do not set your mind on earthly things, but uh, on heavenly things where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. I think I got that verse a little bit wrong, but there's we raise our eyes to to where Jesus is, and memorization is part of this, that it, it transforms our mind, it renews our mind, and it lifts our eyes, it lifts our gaze up. That being said, there's some negative things with uh, memorization. The There's pride that goes along with that, being able to say, that, well, I've memorized this book of the Bible, or I've memorized this many chapters. Um, there's a... a there can be a tendency just to rush through to try and get it done. And if you're if you're serious about memorizing, you need to set yourself deadlines. You need a, a realistic, but there need to be some teeth to it where you're you're going to meet with somebody on such and such day and recite this chapter. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen because you're a lazy person just like I am. But if you set yourself a realistic goal and you have a deadline that hurts, then you're going to end up procrastinating and then you're going to end up rushing through it. And that can be somewhat lifeless. You, that can be something that you're just running through and and you're not thinking about it, which is less than ideal. At a certain point later on in, in my teen years, I just realized that this is just something that's good. It's, it's not that I'm trying to win an award here. It's just this is good. It's good to memorize and uh, I was challenged by my mentor, Ivan Raymer, to memorize Romans 6 and Romans 8. He actually kind of required me. He said, memorize these two chapters, and then when they're done, give me a call, and we'll meet again. Basically, I'm not going to see you again until you memorize these two chapters. He's old school, but awesome. And uh, and But I realized this is really good. This is really good. And I, I realized it's not about... Um, it's not about running through so that you can then recite it to somebody so that you can then have the trophy, which is my first experience with memorization. It's about sp spending time immersed in, in scriptures long enough that it transforms you. And so it really doesn't matter if it takes you a week or 10 years to memorize a passage. It, ma it matters that day by day you're spending time in it. So at this time, I developed a principle or like a little rule that has kind of stuck with me um, since then for the last 15 years. It, I, it's the 15-minute rule. So I set a timer, literally a timer. I know, it sounds legalistic, but I don't think it is. I think it, it has, it's something that's brought a lot of life for me. I set a timer, and whatever happens within that 15 minutes is good, is my devotions. So some days I would feel like, and I... During this time, I had like five bookmarks in my Bible because I still had them from when I was reading through the previous reading system where you read some of the Old Testament, some of the Psalms, some of the Proverbs, uh, some of the New Testament. I had like a bunch of bookmarks. And I was just like, what do I feel like doing today? I feel like reading some stories from the Old Testament. So I would just read some of the stories from the Old Testament. Or I feel like working on a passage that I've been memorizing. So I'd flip to Paul and keep working on Romans 6 and see how far I could get through what I already knew and move forward in what I didn't know. Or I feel like just reading a psalm or two and seeing if one of them connects with where I'm at. 
whatever it is, just, you know, do what comes natural. And I would time it because, you know, you want to do what feels natural, but at the same time, what feels natural is not usually godly. You have to push yourself towards godliness because, you know, we're lazy creatures. And we like the darkness more than we like the light. We have to push ourselves into the light. And 15 minutes, you know, don't let your mind wander. I'd have to realize I was staring off into space and just thinking about other things. No, bring yourself back. No, focus on something scriptural, something spiritual. Come back. Uh, also, journaling is acceptable. You, you know, I could have a notebook and, and write out thoughts uh, that came from scriptures. Sometimes I just read one verse and then I'd write thoughts for the rest of the 15 minutes and oftentimes the 15 minutes the timer would go off or the the time would go past the 15 minutes and i keep going a little bit because um because it was life-giving during much of this time then i went to bible school i was dating my wife um i was working a summer job working jobs to make money to pay for bible school living at home didn't have much of a social life. Most of the youth group had moved on and were also in Bible school. Like I just didn't have a lot of friends around. I didn't really feel like hanging out with my family. It's just the age, right, where uh, you you want to spread your wings and fly. But there wasn't really anywhere to fly other than to my job. So at this time, I did quite a lot of uh, time in the Word, uh, in, the, in Bible. Um, and I kind of combined two things where I would read uh, 15, read three chapters in the morning and then in the evening I would tend to spend more of the, the time me memorizing. And I figured, well, if I, if I can't do one or the other because of shift work or because something distracted me, at least I would have one. So I'd have at least 15 minutes a day, sometimes more like half an hour, sometimes 45 minutes. So then I got married and that all just just stopped happening. Uh, because my mornings were with my wife, my evenings with, were with my wife, and in between I was working. And so it was. It became very, very difficult for a long time to figure out how to have my devotions. And that was part of the sacrifice of marriage, I guess, um, that I was not expecting. I wasn't expecting marriage to make it more difficult to have devotions. And then I had kids, and then, <laughs> and then it got even crazier. And somewhere in here I, I discovered the Daily Audio Bible podcast, and that became really helpful to me because I could listen to the Bible while I was working. I worked for a long time as a driving a garbage truck, and so I could listen to that at work, on the way to work, uh, on a morning run or, or walk, out fishing, whatever it was that I was doing, I was able to take it with me. It wasn't the same as sitting down with a Bible and having journals by my side and having complete silence and complete concentration. But it fit. It fit my life. And then we started this missions journey. We had several kids at the time. And then we, we moved, entered another culture, learned a new language, went overseas, entered a new culture, had health issues, came back, re-entered a culture that wasn't ours in Quebec, Canada, the French part of Canada, and went through burnout. I went through burnout and then rediscovered, kind of get backing on our feet again, and rediscovered and reestablished a different sort of a life. During all this time, there were often times when I didn't even have time for the day of the audio Bible, or I couldn't focus on it. 
And during this time, we discovered a, a book called Daily Light for the Daily Path, which is an just it's like a devotional, but it's all made up of scriptures. And it takes about five minutes. Well, it takes about a minute to read, really. But if you want to focus on it, you can spend maybe five minutes reading it. And that was something that my wife and I read a lot together or separately, brought life to us. My wife reads um, a daily Bible verse app, which is another thing that has been real life-giving for her. And then lately, uh, two years ago, we switched, two and a half years ago, we switched to an Anglican church, a little evangelical Anglican church, and uh, we've been enjoying and appreciating the liturgical prayers that come with the church. And just this year, we've discovered, well, we've been studying the Lord's Prayer in our Bible study at our home. And we started off by, um, you know, just discussing what is the Lord's Prayer. And I mentioned at the beginning of this that we just read through the Catechism, which is a big fancy word for um, the basic teaching book, I guess, of the, of the, the, the basic Anglican teaching book which goes through, again, the, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments, and just says basically what do these things mean and how do we apply them to our lives. It's very basic. It's very, you know, everything is very scriptural. There's nothing weird in here. Um, don't get scared off by the word catechism just because it's from the Latin doesn't mean it's evil. Anyways, in one of our first studies, we came across the question, how is the Lord's Prayer a practice for all prayer? And the answer is, when I pray the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is training me to pray according to His Father's will, so I should employ the prayer constantly. How is the Lord's Prayer a practice for all prayer? When I pray the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is training me to pray according to His Father's will, so I should employ the prayer constantly. And this was, you know, we read this as, as part of our Bible study, and I reread it, and I reread it, and it, it didn't really click. And then I just underlined this one phrase. Jesus is training me to pray according to his Father's will. Jesus is training me to pray according to his Father's will. That's what the Lord's Prayer is about, is that Jesus is training me to pray according to his Father's will. We had started off that prayer that day asking the question, is there such thing as a bad prayer? And we all just kind of said, well, no. You know, if you pray, you're praying from the and you're praying from the heart. There can't be a, a bad prayer. You just because you know the verse that says uh, in Romans Romans six, I think, or else Romans eight, that the Holy Spirit intercedes with us with groanings that are too deep for words, and that means that whatever feeble attempt you have to pray, God's going to take that attempt. The Holy Spirit's going to take that attempt, clean it up. And make it appropriate and holy enough for God the Father. And we need that because our prayers certainly are not worthy of God. But God intercedes for us. And so, no, in, in a sense, there's no bad prayer. You, if you feel like you can't pray, just start praying. Just say some nonsense. Because, or not nonsense, but just speak what is on your heart. Just speak the truth. Because that's what God wants to hear anyways. He wants to hear the truth. But, what do we usually pray? When we're praying, we usually say, God, these are the things that I want. Please give me this, please give me this, please give me this, please give me this. Whereas the Lord's Prayer starts with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, 
on earth as it is in heaven. And as we studied that, we realized those are three different requests. First of all, we recognize that God is our Father, and that's the context for everything else we pray. And then we say, Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be made holy. May your kingdom come, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in each one of those things, there's a world of richness. What does it mean that God is in heaven? What does it mean that his kingdom will come? That his kingdom is not, but we want it to come on earth as it is in heaven. And what does it mean that we want God's will to happen on earth as it is in heaven? And then, once we have our hearts oriented and our minds focused on God and thinking about what, it, what he wants and what it means for a good father who is perfect, what it means for his will to be done in our lives and for his kingdom to come in our world, then we move on to the next thing of saying, give us this day our daily bread. And we talk about our needs. We do talk about our needs. That's, that's in the, almost in the middle of the prayer, our needs. And then really quickly we move on to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us and lead us not into temptation. So the Lord's Prayer has been this amazing discipline of teaching me to pray the Father's will where the kingdom of God is paramount. The will of Almighty and perfect and loving God is first and foremost. And my desire is find a way to fit within that. And I'm not praying so much for every single desire that I want. I'm praying for my needs, my daily bread, the things that I really need. Those deep heart cries, those things that that I just want to repeat over and over and say, pretty, 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 please, this is what I want. And it forces me not to forget to forgive. I can't avoid it. I can't hide from it. Forgiveness is right there. Right the next thing after daily bread is forgiveness. Forgive me for my sins. You know, the reminder that I'm a sinful person is right there. And the reminder that I need to forgive others is right there. And there's a reminder to pray against temptation. And a reminder to pray against the work of Satan who is trying to destroy me. So, this is a prayer that is better than my thoughts. Certainly, this is sometimes a springboard for my thoughts. Sometimes I use this as a pattern. And I'll start with, you know, um, adoration. Then I move to um, requests. And I I move to repentance. And then I move to um, praying for protection. But this has been tremendously life-giving to pray through the Lord's Prayer and to meditate on the Lord's Prayer and to uh, lift my thoughts up to something like the thoughts of God. And this is something, again, that's challenging these assumptions that I've had for many years that repeated prayers are insincere. Is it true that repeated prayers are insincere? Is it true that every Sunday when we pray in our church the Lord's Prayer, that that's insincere? It hasn't been in my experience. As I pray through it every Sunday, Almost every Sunday. I mean, sometimes you zone out, but almost every Sunday it comes from the heart and it brings new freshness, especially as I've, I've spent time really studying it and really thinking about each stanza, each, each phrase and each line. Is it true that extemporaneous prayers are always better than written prayers? Look, I'm terrible at extemporaneous prayers because I'm too honest. <laughs> I, I just say what's on the top of my head. And it's usually something very ordinary and very focused on my needs. 
And the Lord's Prayer lifts us above that to pray for, for true goodness and for God's will to happen. And quantity is not always better than quality. Sometimes it's good to just say one simple prayer, the Lord's Prayer, or pray through Psalm 51, or pray through Psalm 23, or pray through some of the great prayers of the Bible, simply and a short prayer, rather than you know, a long, flowing, extemporaneous prayer that's full of rambling and, and unfinished thoughts, as, as much as that's appropriate too. There's a, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying we need both. So I see that I'm, I'm coming up on an hour, and I'm just going to keep going because uh, these are good thoughts, and it's a podcast, so I don't need to be too constrained with an hour. Um, and so I'm just kind of giving myself permission for that. I don't think that anybody else cares. But So I have discovered meditation. And how, I can't remember exactly how this happened. It's one of those things that I started playing with and then it kind of became something relevant to me. I think at the beginning of this book, uh, To Be a Christian in Anglican Catechism, you can download this online and just search for it. Somewhere in the beginning of this, it talks about the Jesus Prayer. And the Jesus Prayer is, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. No, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this is a prayer that comes, it's a very, very ancient prayer. It's it's older than, you know, the Council of, uh, the Vatican, um, the Council of Trent when the Catholic Church kind of became the modern Catholic Church. It comes from deep in the Middle Ages, early in the Middle Ages. In, in some ways, we don't even know I don't think we really know when it started. It's just a very ancient prayer. And it's more common in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And what people would do is just breathe it in and breathe it out. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I don't think I can do that while speaking. But you, you kind of say it to yourself, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you, you just, you pray that, and it, it comes in, and it goes out. And it comes in, and it goes out. And it's a reminder that we live with, you know, our, our breath, our life is God. That, you know, as it says in Colossians 2, I think, that our, um, all things hold together in Him, Him being Christ. He is the maker and sustainer of all things. For in Him all things are made and all things hold together. And that we're held together by the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. He has mercy on us, and that is our life, just like breath comes into us and is our life. Grace comes into us and is our life. And in the previous podcast, well, the, the podcast I'm going to make soon, I'm going to talk about some of the dangers of meditation. You can go too far with this. I think you can, you, you can work yourself into a trance-like state which I don't think is helpful. I don't see that anywhere taught in scriptures that we should go into a trance and try to um, try to force ourselves to have some sort of a vision. If God wants to get a hold of you, he'll get a hold of you. You don't need to put yourself in a trance. And there's a lot of danger in putting yourself in a trance-like state where you have hallucinations and you have you know, funny sort of dreams as the mind 
tends to do uh, when it's when it's unchanged from reality, and then starting to attach spiritual meanings to these weird dreams that you have. That's warned against many times in scripture. It's not that it's always wrong, but it it's a dangerous thing. Scriptures are our anchor point, not meta, not um, ecstatic experiences. But does that mean that we can never do something like this, like regulated breathing and focusing on one thing? I think that that there, there is a value to this. The church has found this valuable for many years. And I, I think that the Protestant church in general and evangelicalism perhaps even more so, were in such a reactionary mode against everything that was the Catholic church and that we think the Catholic church is about, that we just don't want to have anything to do with anything over there. And I'm realizing more and more that we're missing out. There, there's life over there. There's things that, that brought life to the church for many years. And yes, they became something negative in the high medieval period, in, in the years just before the Reformation. They, they turned into something dark and sinister, which is why they, there needed to be a Reformation. But that doesn't mean that we need to throw out the baby with the bathwater, to use an old and tired expression. So I found that um, because I'm listening to the Daily Audio Bible in the mornings, often while making coffee, starting the fire, doing stuff, uh, I'm learning new things. It's good, but I still have this need for intimacy with God. I feel like there's there's something missing. And so what I've started doing is, apart from my daily listening of the Daily Audio Bible, which I try and, and get somewhere in the day, I set a timer in the morning, 15 minutes. I've gone back to that 15 minutes. It's just something magical about 15 minutes for me. And I start that with three minutes. And I have a, a breathing app on my phone, a little circle thing that grows and then shrinks and grows and shrinks. And I just and it vibrates so I can have my eyes closed while it's vibrating to tell me when to breathe in and out. And as it's telling me to breathe, I say the Jesus prayer. And as it's coming in, I say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. And as it's going out, I say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I just do this. And it's it's really hard because you come in and oftentimes by the time I get to my study, it's 9 or 10 and I've already done a bunch of things. I've already cleaned up. I've spent time with my wife. I've, you know, spent time on conquering the world's problems or whatever, doing my job. And I need to, I'm trying to f calm myself down. And it takes work to calm yourself down through meditation. It takes focus. It takes determination. And the mind rebels against simplicity. It doesn't like being simple. It doesn't it, it wants to fan out in a million directions and be busy, especially after you've had your morning coffee. And the breathing prayer forces me to calm down. And sometimes I pray the Jesus prayer. Sometimes I've started now praying through the Lord's Prayer in that way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, and the Lord's Prayer is kind of made in these stanzas of these complimentary things. Our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, you don't have to nail it down precisely, but just part of it comes in as you, as you breathe nice deep breath and then part of it goes out as you breathe and as you're doing that you're meditating on it you're thinking on it you're dwelling on it you're 
it's you're breathing it right it's 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 part of you it's and it really forces you your mind is so active and it's like give me food give me something to think about right you're kind of starving your mind in a way by just focusing on one thing and so it thinks deeply about simple things about our father who is in heaven you know when you have time to think about what that means hallowed be thy name you know when you have time to think about what that means and it forces you to slow down and as i do this i often have a piece of paper next to me for two things one thing is that as thoughts come to my mind and my brain's like oh you need to do this you need to do this i just write it down when i'm done this 15 minutes i'm going to come back to this sheet of paper and i'm going to deal with those things and so i can tell my my brain don't worry about it we'll, we'll come back to it in a bit so the brain can stop worrying about it because it's on a piece of paper the other thing is that there's a piece of paper here because sometimes God starts to speak to me and there's something profound and something interesting and something deep that God wants to say to me or that, you know, a verse comes to mind and I realize it's important. I got to gotta focus on this. And so sometimes my meditation time becomes a journaling time where I end up filling up three or four or five pages in my journal and that becomes really deep time of reflection, time of God, time of working on inner stuff, doing self-counseling, so to speak. What I found through this, this discipline of meditation, um, a number of things. One thing is that it reduces my heart rate. I've got a watch that keeps track of my heart rate, and I realize my normal operating heart rate, well, actually, I'm not going to share that. That's my personal information. Thank you very much. Um, but I, I've been noticing that it reduces my heart rate by... Uh, about 20%, I think, 15 to 20% uh, in 15 minutes. My heart rate comes down, it reduces, it slows down. And I find that if I successfully meditate, which I don't always, it's hard. And sometimes I just spend the whole time just daydreaming or thinking about useless, not useless things, but about the, the busyness and stress of the day. But when I really meditate, I find that it, it, I regain early morning clarity early morning when I first wake up which is probably the the slowest that my heart is ever beating in the day is my early morning when I first wake up I often have such tremendous clarity I might think just one or two things about something I was thinking about the night before or something that I was processing the day before or a few days ago something that is on my mind <clears throat> for whatever reason and in those first couple minutes in the morning <clears throat> I have clarity and I'm often able to journal out or to blog out something really profound and interesting and simple, but elegantly simple. And I often find that after I meditate for my 15 minutes, I find that I'm regaining this sense of clarity and this sense of simplicity and this sense of... There's just a few things in life that are really important. I'm just going to work on what's really important right now in my life, right in front of me and I'm going to make a difference. It reduces the clutter. It, it diffuses the anger. It reduces the anxiety. It brings me down to earth, and it gets me moving in the correct direction. This mental picture that um, my mind before meditation is kind of like frayed polyester, kind of like your tag at the back of your shirt, you know, that's been washed a bunch of times, and the bottom of it is all frayed, and it's all these fine little threads that are going off in a million directions. Like that's my mind throughout the day, 
Like I, I'm, maybe I'm accomplishing a lot, but it's going in a lot of different directions and I'm kind of doing a lot of things at the same time. After meditation, my mind is more like burlap where there's thick strands of ideas that all connect. I'm not accomplishing a million things. I'm accomplishing maybe one or two things, but I'm doing it well. And I know that these are the important things that I need to do. And um, I found that to be very helpful. And I'm finding them actually developing a prayer life. I've never had a good prayer life. I've never been good at praying. I've always said kind of, <laughs> I've jokingly said sometimes, you have prayer and I have scriptures. Uh, kind of like James said, you have faith and I have works. Um, so show me your faith by your works. Anyways, um, I've loved the Bible. I've loved reading the Bible, but I haven't ever really been good at prayer. And this discipline of meditation has taught me how to pray. And it has brought me to a place where I can actually say, I have prayed for 15 minutes. How have you prayed? What have you said for 15 minutes? Well, I started off by praying the Jesus prayer for three minutes, focusing on that, reducing my breathing. And then I prayed through the Lord's prayer, taking time on each stanza to say, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, may your name be glorified. God, it really bothers me that people don't glorify your name. People blaspheme your name. Christians don't always carry your name well. May your name be carried up high and made holy in this generation. You know, and you spend time on that. Then you spend time on, give us a stay of daily bread. God, these are the things we need. Kids need this. My wife needs this. I need this. These are not ridiculous things. This is just our daily needs. Please give us these needs. Forgive us our sins. God, you know, here's some things I, I did wrong. Forgive me for these things. And, you know, just that's what I did for 15 minutes. And it was life-giving. And it was structured enough, but free enough, to that God met with me there. So that being said, it has been a long journey to move towards this point um, of meditation and still doing daily audio I'm doing the Daily Audio Bible, and I'm doing meditation. Um, meditation or prayer. I mean, whatever you want to call it. I'm praying, and, uh, <clears throat> and I'm finding it very life-giving. That being said, people could judge me. And I've been around enough to know that people are insecure, that I am insecure, that we attach a lot of our significance and worth as human beings to our ability to perform as as part of the religious community, and we t we try and compare against one another, and uh, a lot of that has been coming up in my sermon series, uh, going through Philippians, because we shouldn't do this, but we do, we do, and people could judge me, and in some ways. I rebel against that. And when people ask me things like, how many times have you been through the Bible? I mean, honestly, I don't know. And so I just say, I don't know, because I, I don't. And I think that there's something good about that. I mean, I stopped keeping track when I was 12. I know I read through it four times before I was 12 because I was forced to. It's not something I can take pride in because it wasn't my choice. And I mean, it was good. It was good that I did it, but 
you know, I know people that have read through the Bible 15 to 20 times. How many times have I read it? I, four, at least, maybe a bit more. I don't know. I don't know. You know, oftentimes when I read through the Bible, it was very inconsistent. You know, when I was a young young teen, uh, as I mentioned, I spent a lot of time in Genesis. I especially remember reading you know, Deliverance from Egypt and the plagues and, and the Joseph story. And I really loved Isaiah. I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I still probably can't exactly put my finger on why I liked Isaiah so much. Isaiah and the prophets, just the words of, of a holy God against the sins of his people and the judgment coming, also the mercy. Just something that just really spoke to me during that time. When I was newly married, uh, I went through a period where I was rebelling against a lot of my childhood in kind of a secret sort of a way. It was a private, personal thing. I journaled a lot. I blogged on a blog that didn't have a fairly small blog. And um, I loved the Gospels at that point because it was the red letters. It was character. It was Jesus talking against hypo hypocrisy and legalism and the very things that I was disturbed with. And so I read a lot of the red letters. I read a lot of the Gospels. I read a lot about, you know, the read the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over. Then I got past that that phase, and I became young, restless, and reformed for a while, as they say. And at that point, I got back into Paul, and also kind of just reading the whole Bible again, and, and seeing the connections of everything, and seeing the big themes like worship, seeing the big themes like the wrath of God, seeing the big themes like the fear of God, and how that ripples through all of the Bible. Lamentations actually became a really interesting verse or, um, book for me at that time. And then we went to Af we became missionaries, went to Africa, um, went through some really, really, really hard stuff, uh, including burnout and walking with my wife through some difficult seasons. And Job became this book that just spoke so much life because I felt like so so much of evangelical Christianity just speaks such such pale words to Christians that are suffering. And it's exactly the sorts of nonsense that Job's friends, pious sorting nonsense that Job's friends spoke to him. And and Job's words are true. And God respects that. As much as God contends with Job and says, who are you to speak to me? But at the same time, God says, Job has spoken truth about me not like you speak, not like his friends have. And I've appreciated the imprecatory psalms. The imprecatory psalms are the angry psalms where the David or the psalmist says, you know, God, bring down your fire and your wrath on my enemies. May my enemies die. May my enemies be thrown to the ground for I have done right, I've done good, and yet bad things are happening to me. Life is not working out. Why not? Or... Why are you in despair on my soul? Why are you cast down? I will trust in God. And um, yeah, it speaks to me that I'm not the only person that gets mad, that gets violently angry at life not being how it should be and God not intervening when he could and that faith in God's goodness sometimes means that 
I'm going to yell at the top of my voice. Not literally because I'm not that sort of a person, but inside I'm just, I'm angry. And yet I come back to a place of saying, okay, God, it's not how it should be, but I'm going to trust you. Um, and sometimes there isn't even, some of the imprecatory psalms don't end with a happy note. It's just life sucks. Bad people are doing bad things. Good people are getting hurt. I don't know what to do with this, the end. And that's good. <laughs> that's how some psalms should be because that's how some of my prayers are. Anyways, I'm getting distracted. But at different seasons of my life, I mean, if you ask me how many times have you read through the Bible, I mean, I don't know. Because at different seasons of my life, different parts of the Bible have called to me and spoken to me, and that's where I've spent my time. So somebody could be judgy and say, how many times through? I, I, I don't know. So, okay, well, how, how how's your memorization going? Not real good. Like, they could throw at me some chapter and verses. Like, do you know the Romans Road? You know, I always get confused about the third step of that. Romans 5 something. Is it Romans 5.12 or Romans 16? I can't remember. Um, I really am bad with chapters and verses. Numbers, details, I'm lost, you know. All right, well, you said you memorized John. Could you recite it for me? Yeah, no. But what if I started, you know, halfway through John 3? Could you keep going? I could go probably a verse, maybe two, and then you'd probably call me on a mistake because, you know, I'm just... I got the concept there, but I'm going to confuse some of the details. It's been a while. Mm, okay, well, I guess that doesn't really count then. Um, you know, that being said, verses come to mind. I know the concept of verses, and with a Bible app, I could find just about any verse you want. Yeah, but it's not really memorized. No, not not completely, so that doesn't really count. So where are you this year in your Bible reading? Well, you know, this year started off kind of crazy. I don't mean to make excuses, but it just kind of did. And so I've kind of skipped through. You know, I, I listened to a few Bible, um, my, my daily audio Bible app, and then I got behind. And I don't really catch up anymore. If I skip a few, I skip a few. I know the stories. And I think that God has a new word for me every day. So I just listen to the daily audio Bible for the day. And if I miss some, I miss some. And there's no pressure and I'm not going to catch up. Because I've never really gotten comfortable with this idea of catching up. I mean, you don't catch up in a relationship. You don't catch up in a marriage. You're there in the day or you're not. And so I just listen to what the Bible is saying that day and that's it. And at this point, I'm sure that there's some people saying, you're, well, you're not really much of a Christian, then are you? Honestly, that's what people will think. Some people will think that. Because, you know, I don't have tons in the Bible memorized, word for word. I don't have references memorized. I don't even have the, the books of the Bible memorized. I mean, some people are really good at that, but I just, I don't know. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, Judges, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. First and Second Samuel, I think. I don't know. I mean, it gets fuzzy. I'm, you know, just not much of a Christian, I guess. Um, and if you were to look at the material evidence, I mean, I haven't really done 
a lot. I haven't done enough to show Jesus I love him. That's true. But Jesus has done a lot to show me that he loves me. And I can look back on my life and I say, yeah, I mean, when I was a young kid trying to figure out life, he spoke to me and he sent to me the story of the people of Israel finding freedom from a taskmaster and, and walking in the wilderness and walking with God and of a young man, Joseph, that set his path and said he was alone, but he was faithful and he did the right thing and eventually things worked out for him. And when I was a little bit older, he sent me Paul who wrote a letter to Timothy about how to be a young man of character. And when I was a young adult and could have messed up my life in so many ways and was walking through a dry spell when I was being faithful, but nothing was working out for me, God spoke to me about faithfulness and about his people um, being faithful and not being faithful and the results of that. And when I was disgusted with legalism, he sent me Jesus to tell me about how much he hates the Pharisees. And when I was broken, he sent me Job to be angry for me and with me. And he sent me David, who yelled at God and was angry at God and shared his hurt with God. And was called the man after God's own heart. And it's not important to me how many times I've been through the Bible. And it's not important to me to say I'm 100% caught up on my Bible reading for this year. If that's important for you, then do it. If you need that discipline, then do it. Discipline is important and good. But if there's anything that I've gained, if there's any badges or, you know, I have a trophy somewhere of memorizing Job through the book of John. And as Paul says, I can count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. It may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, and that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm after.
That's what it's about. It's not about bragging rights. It's not about competition. It's not about earning something. It's about finding Jesus, being found in him. Reaching after someone that has already sought out and rescued me. Participating in his life, participating in his sufferings, being conformed to the likeness of his death, so that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Forgetting the things that are before and pressing on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's calling me forward. I don't know where. I don't know the future. But I know who's calling me around the next corner. I hear the sweetness of his voice. And that's what calls me on. And so whatever it is for you, do it. Do it. Spend time with Jesus in the word, in prayer, and in meditation. Have a good day and God bless.